All right, so I wanted to start out this week by doing one more one more citation in relation to the Rambam and what his position on Bly Gizin might be. We talked about it last week that that is this sort of technique where they pour lead and attempt to divine why somebody is suffering from uh, supposedly Ayn Hara. And I sent my correspondence and talked a little bit of my correspondence with one of the practitioners, a Daniel Hull from, uh, from Israel. After that, I'd like to segue into talking about the halachic implications of Ayn Hara um, with a bit of a focus again on the position of the Rambam. So to start out, we have a Rambam in the Parish HaMishnah in Mesech's Yoma. The Rambam says over there the following. The Rambam is talking about, the Mishnah is talking about um, somebody, uh, it's the eighth paragraph, right? it's the last paragraph of Yuma. It's talking about people who have um, problems on Yom Kippur where they're required to eat. So the Mishnah over there is discussing somebody who's infected with some type of uh, sickness called bulmas that they would feed him things that even were, you know, not kosher um, on Yom Kippur in order to be able to, to get him healthy. So the Rambam says, in relation to a person who was bitten by a, a rabid dog, the halacha is debated about whether or not you could feed such a person the kaved, the, the liver of this kind of rabid dog. If that's a refuah. So over there it says the following. The Rambam says the following. The halacha is not like Rabbi Masya ben Cheresh, shehumatir shaita. They are allowed to feed a person the the liver of a of a rabid dog, because this treatment of feeding somebody the liver of a rabid dog is only healing derech segula. What does that mean? The Chachamim Sevrim, the rabbis, Chazal felt, Ki ein Avrin ala mitzvah ela berefua bilvad. You know when you're allowed to violate the Torah, obviously the, the liver of a dog is not kosher. The only time that you're allowed or permitted to violate the Torah is for actual refua. Berefua bilvad. Ratzaloymar bidvarm hamerapin biteva with things that heal naturally. He says, this is the truth. And it has to be that this healing takes place not merely in the eye of the beholder, not merely in the imagination of some person. It's the fevered imagination of somebody who believes in it. No, it has to be tested. It has to be tested by an Isoyan, by a scientific type of test, in order to ascertain the validity of that refua. And he continues, and he says, 
But to heal somebody with a type of medication that is a segula, asur, that would be absolutely prohibited to do that in a way that would violate the Torah. In other words, if you feed somebody the liver of a dog, that has no natural way to heal. Science has not found any definitive way that shows that it has any medicinal value. So therefore, it is prohibited for a person to violate the Torah and eat that liver of a dog. He says to be mirape, to heal yourself with segula is also to violate the Torah. And he says, why? Because the school of type of refuas, they're very weak. They're not there with any sort of wisdom. And the testing ability of that to show veracity is very far-fetched indeed. This is very important. Do not forget it. So it seems to me that what the Rambam is saying and extrapolating is the following. You want to get healed using a means that is far-fetched, that nothing in science can back up. Then if that means is something that's going to have issues of dark and Mary, then you have dark and Mary issues. And you won't be permitted because it won't be real refua. But if you're doing something that doesn't have any dark Yamari issues and doesn't violate any other things in the Torah, fine. But if you have something that may not necessarily be dark Yamari, but it will violate something in the Torah, like treif, then it won't be permitted if there's no way of showing that it actually has any medicinal value. And so therefore, when we come to a situation again, like we talked last week in relation to Bly Gizen, it seems to be 100% clear and given that there's no basis to argue that there is refuah here, that there's no medicinal value here whatsoever, science hasn't been able to show any value to lead pouring, and we do know that it's used in magical ceremonies throughout Germany, Switzerland, Austria, etc. It seems clear then that such a thing is 100% Dagger and it's not really Mishum refuah. It's just a segula. It's never going to, it never has been and likely never will be shown through Nisayan or by some doctor to say that they've ascertained that this has value. And as such, it would be prohibited. That's how I wanted to start. Now, I wanted to go into the sugya, a little bit of Hezegriya. Right, if you're going to Baba Basra, you recall the sugya of Hezegriya. Hezegriya is a type of tortious act, is a type of way of causing somebody harm, but it is part of the classification of hezekas that are known as like hezek to in a nicker, that you cannot see the hezek that was done, right? Because the harm that's being done is not obvious to anybody. So what is hezegriya? It's hurting somebody with your stare, with your looking at them. So it seems to be, if we're talking about the halakhic implications of Ayin Hara, that Hezegriya is a good place to start. We have a lot of Gemars at the beginning of Barabbas and then in the middle that deal with Hezegriya. And there's a Machlagis in the Gemara. 
And the first citation that I sent her out for tonight is, I could have sent it uh, from a couple places above Asram, all at the beginning, but I sent it here because of the next page. So the Gemara says, on Daphnon Tess, the following. One man, it's machalikas, whether or not hezek re'iyah, when you damage somebody with your sight, when you damage somebody with your steer, if that is, in fact, a hezek or not a hezek. Is that really a damage or not really a damage? So the Lord says, actually, that's not a, the machalikas because it's quite possible that everybody, in fact, holds that hezek re'iyah is a real hezek. Now, I want to get into Hezekria and what it means that it's a real Hezek. And I thought a good way to do that would be literally the Gemara on the next page. If you look at the Gemara on the next page in Nafsamach, the Gemara there, we're going to be reading it in a couple weeks in the Parsha. The Gemara says that Bilam attempts to curse the Jewish people. And if you look there, you'll see there's certainly a big emphasis on the eyes in that Parsha. Bilam is called the Shasum Ha'ayin. Bilam is always being looking for a place to see the people. Vayars Ketzeyam, he wants to see um, uh, the nation in order to be able to get into the right moment and spirit to to curse them. There is a number of, there are a number of times in that parsha that it discusses seeing. Sigmar over here says the following. It's a famous medrash. Sigmar says, Mirani Mili. Bilam saw the Jewish people and the way they were situated in terms of their tents. Mara, what did Bilam actually see? He saw Yisrael sheikhin l'shvatah. So that the way they, they were living, the way they were encamped. So he saw, says the Gemara, she'ein pischei ahaleim mechuvanen zelazeh. Their um, doorways were situated in such a way that it was impossible for a fellow to look inside his neighbor's tent. And so he said, These people are worthy, he said, that the divine spirit should be resting upon them. And if you look at the Rashbam, the Rashbam says, how do we know that that's what Bill meant, that the Jewish people were ready for that? Because it says, right? How amazing are the tents of the Jewish people? If you look at the Rabbeinu Gershom on the side of the page, the Rabbeinu Gershom says the following. Rabbeinu Gershom says that these tents were not situated in a way that allowed one family to look in at the goings-on in another family. Says Rabbeinu Gershom, why not? Because mipnei hezek re'iyah. The reason that the tents were situated in a manner that the doorways were not mechuvan and zekenegetzeh, where one person could not look at the inside of the goings-on of his fellow, was in order to ensure that there would be no hezek re'iyah. So Hezekiah is a big deal. Hezekiah, according to Chazal, was around back in the times of the Midbar. The Jewish people were attempting to avoid Hezekiah. And how did they avoid Hezekiah? They avoided Hezekiah by situating their tents in a way, in a manner that didn't look in upon each other. All right. So what then is the fear of Hezekiah? What then is the reason that Hezekiah is so 
terrible, then it has to be avoided at all costs. So if you look at the Ramban over here, the Ramban, and there's a Chilushia Ramban, Amba Vasar, the Ramban says the following. The Ramban says, the Hezek is real damage. It is part of the classification of torts. It's within tort law. It's a real damage. When you damage somebody with your sight, it's a real damage. You can really hurt somebody that way. But why? You might ask, what's the way you're hurting somebody with your eye? We've discussed eye and hara in the past, but now we're talking about in a way that is actionable. It's actionable in a court. So how is it going to be actionable? We'll see a few examples. But what the Ramban is coming to explain is why is Hezegria, why is damage by sight something so terrible? Why is that, in fact, a tort? Says the Ramban. I give you three possible reasons as to why Hezegria is in fact something that is a real damage. Either it's because of Bisha, either it's because of Lashonhara, or because of reasons of modesty. Now you will recall the Ramban, right? The Ramban suggested way back in one of our either I think our first or second class on the topic we quoted the Ramban the Ramban said that women who were nidas were able to negatively impact with their gaze their gaze was bad was evil to the point that they could even get something that was a blood-like substance onto a mirror if they stared at it and the Ramban went further. The Ramban said that a, a snake, certain types of snakes, like vipers, can kill with their eyes. Now remember that that was also similar to the Tashbates. The Tashbates also went so far to talk about how ostriches can hatch eggs with their eyes. In other words, the power of the eyes are real. And the power of the eyes are not just limited to humans, but even animals have the ability to impact negatively or positively others with their gaze. So you understand if this is the position of the Ramban, then when it comes to Hezegria, which is actionable, and we're going to see that we pass in that Hezegria is Shimei Hezek, it is called a real damage. What's the reason that you are being damaged by someone's sight? It's quite plausible that according to the Ramban, who holds that even animals have such intent, an intense gaze that it can actually action things in this world, makes sense that he is understanding that the basis of why Hezekiah is considered to be real damage is because of Ayanhar. But he also gives two other reasons. One is Lashonhar, and the other one is reasons of modesty. And then he continues, and he says something that we potentially can uh, um, understand well. The Ramban says the following. He says, says, No one can really stand an entire day controlling their eyes not to look inside at the affairs of another. 
said, that's impossible. So Therefore, we say, and this is where Hezegria comes about, and we'll talk about this in you know, a few examples, that you can force somebody in certain situations to close his window so as not to look at you. Because we say it's impossible for somebody not to look. So again, there's a machleg is something more about Abbas, or whether or not Hezegria is Shmei Hezeg, whether or not damage by sight is considered to be real damage. Chazal suggests that the reason that the Jewish people situated their tents in a manner that did not look from one to the other was in order to avoid damage by sight. What is the damage by sight? Suggests the Ramban, the damage by sight can be either the evil eye, evil speech, or lack of modesty. Now let's move on for a second and talk about the Archa Shulchan. The Archa Shulchan says the following. So I'm quoting here from the Archa Shulchan in Chashim Mishpat Simen Kuf Nundalad. The Archa Shulchan says the following. It says, Kaimalon, we pass in the Hezekri Ishmei Hezek. Hezekri is in fact called a real damage. Now, why is that? Most people get upset when they see other people staring in at them and looking on at their affairs, at their goings on. Most people get upset at this. Why do people get upset when people are looking in at them and staring at them? The Ayin Hara because Ayin Hara is prevalent when one is staring at another. The Amru Chazal and the Rabbis taught the Chazal taught If you remember, the Gemara said that you're not allowed to look in on your friend's field during the harvest period because of fears of Ayin Hara. Right? That was the opinion of Rab. And then he says, And when Hashem promises that eventually he'll take away all the chayli, all the sickness and the ill from the Jewish people, what he's going to take away is, Chazal say, Ayin Hara. And he says, many, many bits of work that one does require modesty. If somebody's looking in on you, then you're not going to be able to do whatever work has to be done because it would not be considered within the bounds of modesty. So what does the Archa Shulchan sound like? It sounds like what he has done is taken two of three in the Ramban. Right? He's saying, Roiv b'nei adam are makbid when others are staring at them. And therefore, we say that we have to keep Hezek um, Re'iyah as a real Hezek, as a real damage, because it impacts people negatively. So we hold and we pass in that Hezek Re'iyah damaged by sight is a real Hezek. But what's the reason that it's a real Hezek? Suggests the Archa Shulchan, two of three of the Ramban. One is Ayin Hara. There is Ayin Hara, Shailet. Ayin Hara is prevalent. It's unleashed when people are staring at one another. And the second... And the second is in relation to Tznias, that if you are busy doing certain actions, which would be immodest if others would be looking at you, and you in fact have others looking at you, 
you would refrain from committing such actions or doing such actions. So therefore, it has to be that the Torah is outlawing Hezegria. It's telling you that that's a violation of the law in order to avoid the damage that one would have either from Ayanara or from being able to do the actions that are needed and necessary because of the immodesty issues that would result. Now, I wanted to touch on the position of the Rambam, because obviously the Rambam must have a position on the matter. We've talked about the Rambam already numerous um, times in a variety of different ways on this topic. We spoke about him in relation to certain types of refuas for the evil eye, like the Blagizin, and that was sort of our main focus. But now I want to focus on what is the Rambam's position on Ayanhar? What is his actual position on Hezekriya? And I think you'll see and you will agree with me that the Rambam is not, in fact, in the same camp as the Ramban, not by a long shot. If you look at the Ramban, uh, the Rambam, I'm sorry, in Hilchashchenim, I put here on the citation list a few citations from the Rambam, Paragimel, Parag Zion, Paragchas. And I think what you will see is the following. That the Rambam is saying, you know why Hezekiah is Shmei Hezek as outlawed? Not because of Einhar, not because of Tzniyaz, not because of Lashonhar. The reason is very simple. It's very uncomfortable to have somebody be staring at you while you're middle doing what you're good, what you're doing. It's not right. That they shouldn't be doing that. It makes you feel awkward. It makes you feel odd. That's it. And that's why it's a Hezek. That's why it's a damage. You're annoying them. You're preventing them from doing their work, not because it's per se immodest, not because you're har- harming them through your evil eye or you're causing there to be lush and hard to be spoken because you see what the guy's doing in his business. No, just push it. If you stare at somebody, it makes them feel uncomfortable. Why does it make them feel uncomfortable? Who knows? But that's not the issue. The Rambam is only discussing the reason that Hezekiah would be us, sir, I think, is simply because it's uncomfortable to have people staring in at you all day. No one would want that. And therefore, it's forbidden. But it's not more than that. And then we will also investigate the Rambam's position on the specific times, because I'll talk about Einhar as to how he recalibrates what that actually means. So says the Rambam, the following. I'm looking here in Paragimel. The Rambam says the following. It says, if you have two houses which are next to each other and the roofs of the houses not, not not sloped. They were sort of like flat, so you could actually come out onto your roof, and I think people did. They would use their roof as, you know, that's where they used to barbecue. They would use the roof as a place to cool down in the summer evenings. They would use the roof as a place to hang the laundry, the wash, etc. So they would use the roof for various different things. So the Rambam says the following. You have two guys, right? Shnei and Zevet and they each have roofs that you can use for living quarters. So the halacha is they each have to make a wall. And then he says the, the following. Why? So that they shouldn't have to see each other. Now what happens if they lived on a block which is abutting or adjacent to a shusharabim? So in other words, if you have a house that's adjacent to a public thoroughfare, then you're going to have the people in the, from the public thoroughfare looking at them. Says so the Ramam, in that case you might think that they wouldn't have to separate from each other on the roof. They'd have to make these walls. Why? 
because at the end of the day, they're already getting stared at by other people. All the all the passers-by, all the walker, all the people walking by taking their spazir are gonna be seeing them. So, like at the end of the day, what are you what's the what, what are you so nervous about? It says, even though the people from the public thoroughfare are looking in on them and seeing what they're doing, nevertheless, you're able to say, each one is able to say the other guy on the roof, who has the other roof, listen, the people on the Rishos Harabim, they don't bother me so much. You know why they don't bother me so much? They don't bother me so much because of the fact that they're just sort of happening by. They're coming by for a second. They're not staying and like sort of sitting down and like, you know, watching me all day. Whereas you... But you are still looking at me all day. You're looking at me all day. I feel very different. I feel much more uncomfortable with you rather than somebody who happens to be, by coincidence, is sort of walking on by and, and looks in on, my, on, on me when I'm on my roof for a minute. That's one. If you look, So again, it sounds to me when I read this Rambam, that the Rambam is saying that the, the issue is, is the looking. Not any more than the, just the fact that it's uncomfortable to have somebody looking at you. If you look later on, the Rambam in Parag Zion, I'm looking at Parag Aleph, uh, Beis and Gimel. The, the Rambam here is talking about somebody who has a wall and has a window in the wall, right? And the window in the wall enables them to be able to see out. They have light that comes in, but it also enables them to see his next door neighbor and see what's going on in his next door neighbor's yard. So he says, somebody who has a window in the wall. It's a pre-existing wall with the window. So they were there first. And now the friend, the neighbor, he's very upset. And he um, um, wants to um, have the guy cover it up. So he can't come in and just say to do that if, he is a, if he's a, the, the one who's coming later. But if you have a situation where you have two people, and they have existing rights, and the rights are equal. So any, so he said, the is, then he would be able to stop the guy from looking in on him. And the way the Ramam phrases it is the following. Somebody who has a window in the wall, and his friend comes and builds a courtyard but he's subsequent in time, so his rights are inferior. He can't tell the guy who has the window on the wall, close up your window, so they don't see me. But what's the issue? They don't see me, right? And then the Rambam continues. The reason is, like I just said, because he has the chazak, he's the earlier in time, he's the stronger right. However... What happens if you have a guy who is, has an, you know, uh, a very big aversion to having his neighbor looking at him? So now he says, you know, I'm going to build myself a wall. He wants to now build a wall to block the guy's window so that he won't be able to see him anymore. So what is that guy allowed to do? Um, so he's allowed to build a wall, but he has to make the wall a certain distance. He has to make the wall basically four amis away from the window. In other words, so the guy should still have some light. But the language of the Rambam is 
If the neighbor wants to come build the wall abutting the window to block this guy, you know, from uh, um, looking in on him, in order to be able to remove the hezek, the damage from his steering. Again, the Ramah is not talking about Ayin Hara. He's not talking about Lashon He's not talking about issues of modesty. What's the issue? The issue is the damage of his looking at me. Again, the Rambam continues. And the Rambam then talks about a situation where you have a window that's situated in such a way it's much higher. It doesn't really look in an eye level. There's no way that he's going to be able to harm the person who is neighbor with him standing at the window and looking in on him. So the Rambam over there discussed the fact that over there, the, the person doesn't have any rights because there's no real issue there. And then he says, again, he's not going to harm him with his looking. And one last place, if you look in the Rambam in the eighth paragraph, the Rambam there at the beginning says, if somebody wants to build a ledge, they want to build a ledge on their wall. So if they build that ledge, they're not going to sort of have a perch to be able to look in on the neighbor. So if somebody wants to build a ledge, on 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 their on their property that would enable them to look in on the on the neighbor. The guy who owns the ear rights, the guy who owns the chutzner next door says, "No, you can't do that." Because he's going to hurt him with his steering at the time that he is utilizing his field. How's he going to hurt him? Again, the Rambam never mentions Ayin Hara, Lashon Hara, or Tzniyas. Sounds like, to me, that the damage that he's doing is the damage of merely looking at him. Nothing more. Now you say, well, how do I know? Maybe the Rambam here, when he's saying he's going to damage him with his looking, he's really referring to Ayin Hara. I say, I know that it can't be Ayin Hara. How do I know it can't be Ayin Hara? I know because if you look, we had a Gemara before. The Gemara we had was in Bab Metzia. The Gemara said, if you recall, that when you find certain Avedas, when you find certain lost objects, it's sometimes helpful to keep them fresh, to take them out and use them a bit once in a while. Right? If you have a car, imagine you didn't use the car for a few years. You would come back, the battery would be dead. It would be hard to get started. Everything that you, know, you need in order to keep a car going would be long gone. It, uh, it reminds me of the story that I, I uh, remember reading in Abraham Joshua Heschel uh, said the following story. He's, he, he was explaining there why um, why we should daven. Even if we don't have kavanah, we should still daven. And the, the story that he, that he said over was that it was a little town somewhere in the remote parts of Europe where it was like a little tiny shtetl where they didn't have any markets. They didn't have lots of um, stores selling anything and they would basically be reliant on peddlers coming through from time to time who would you know give the townspeople whatever sort of they needed and he said that there was one uh, sort of uh, watchmaker that would come around once a year and he would fix all the watches of people that had broken over the past year he said that um, the, the, the people came to the watchmaker when he came through town they all burned the watches and certain watches he was able to fix but certain watches, he said, I'm sorry, I can't do anything. 
So they said to him, what's the pattern? Like, why are certain watches that are not so much better than the other watches? Like, why, why is it that you're able to fix these but not those? They said, look, it's, um, it's a reaction of the person when their watch is broken. What do they do with their watch? If they took their watch and every day they still turned it and every day they still used it, but even if it was broken, they kept it on their hand and they kept on turning those dials, then I can fix it. But if they never looked at their watch again, they put their watch in a drawer and never opened it, so then it becomes rusty and I can no longer fix it. The, the Heschel's argument was that the same thing with davening. And if you daven every day, if you daven, even if you don't have kavana, then when the time comes that you have to daven, you'll know what to daven, you'll know what to say, you'll know who to talk to. But if you don't daven, you don't practice, you don't keep that fresh, then when the moment comes that you do have to daven, you won't know who to daven to, you won't know what to daven. So anyhow, that's a, uh, a bit of a tangential point, but the Gemara Bab and see if you recall, discussed, if you find an Aveda, then you should take it out and keep it you know, fresh, ear it out, etc. So the Gemara said, what happens if you have guests in your house? So the Gemara said, if you have guests in your house, what should you do? Don't, don't freshen it up on the bed or on a hanger. Why not? Regardless of whether or not it's for the benefit of the object. Why? Because it's going to cause a problem. Either it's going to be cause a problem from the eyes, because of Ayn Har, as Rashi explains, because it's going to get destroyed, the object, by all these guests looking in on it. Or it's going to get destroyed, sorry, not destroyed, or it's going to get stolen by Ganavim. In other words, your friends who you invited to your house, maybe they're not such good friends, really, and it's going to end up um, that it's going to get stolen because people are aware of what you have in your house. If you look at the Rambam, the Rambam says, What happens if you have guests who come to your house? Don't take it out. Don't air it out in front of them. Even if it's for the object's benefit, even if the object needs that in order to be able to survive, you don't do that. Why? Because maybe it's going to be stolen. What did the Rambam forget to quote? Forgot to quote Ayin Hara. He forgot to quote that maybe the reason, like the Gemara says, that one shouldn't air it out is because it's going to get harmed by the evil eye of your guests. That shows us that the Rambam doesn't view Ayin Hara as a halachic implication, despite the fact that those are one of the two reasons of the Gemara. If so, then when we are understanding the Rambam by Hezekiah, you're not going to make the argument that it's like the Ramban. Because the Ramban had said, if you recall, that the reason that Hezekiah damaged by sight was real damage was either because of Ayin Hara, Lashon Hara, or modesty. The Rambam didn't bring up any of those in Hezekiah. All he was talking about was the damage that somebody's going to cause me by looking in on me. Now, it doesn't sound like the Rambam is really concerned about Ayin Har. As we've seen here from this halacha about freshening up the lost object that one has uh, in their possession that they found that one has to take care of. You're not supposed to do that in front of guests, says the Rambam, not because of Ayin Har, but only 
because it might be stolen. However, we actually have an open Rambam that confirms what I have just said. If you look at the Rambam in the, in the, in the Rambam's Chuvos, so the Rambam was asked the question from the Chachme Lunil, right? From the, the south of France and Provence, that he was asked the question. They wanted to know about the, the rules that the Rambam had set forth in Hilchashkenim about whether or not you have to build a four Amas type of um, uh, um, distance wall from your neighbor or only 10 Tzvachim. It depends on if you're dealing with a courtyard, a garden, etc. Without getting into the minutia, the Chachmin Lunil asked this question to the Rambam about to explain why he made these distinctions. And guess what the Rambam said back? To Zeis HaSheela, your question, Rabbi Zilunil, Such wise men like you should never ask such a dumb question like this. Why? Don't you know the difference between Hezek Ria, which is a major Hezek? where you're going to have somebody looking in on, on his fellow at the time that he's getting up and sitting down and doing all of his business. Versus the Hezek when you're looking in on your friend's field during the time of the harvest period, says the Ram. Don't you see the difference between those two? One case, it's somebody looking in on his friend when he's doing work, when he's sitting, when he's getting up. Anything he's doing, they're looking in on it. The other one is walking by your friend's field at the harvest period and looking in at the field. Says the Ram, don't you see the difference between two Hezekreias? And then he explains, the Hezekreia of the friend's field during the harvest period, that you're not supposed to look in on that friend's field, according to Rav, that's only because of Ayin Hara. That's some sort of Hasidic meritorious thing that you shouldn't look in on your friend with an evil eye. But that's just a nice limud, fine, but it's not a halacha. There's no halacha that you're not allowed to look at your friend's field during the harvest period because of the fear that it's going to cause ayin hara. The real hezegria, the real damage by sight is where you are looking in at the friend's yard. You guys share the same living area, the same space. You're in the same courtyard area, and you're able to see in on him the whole day what he's doing. That's the real hezekiria. That's the real situation where you're damaging somebody by sight. Avobiganais, but in like gardens or fields or the like. And it's arach dalat amos v'shein darken shal adam ladaviganais. There's nothing to be worried about. There's no real hezekiria in this situation where you're not living there, where you're not actually looking at somebody all the time. And therefore, he says that um, your question, chachme lunil bespeaks the fact that you don't understand the distinction between the Hezek that is based upon Midas Chassidus, based upon uh, Ayin Hara type of considerations versus the real life considerations of not having somebody looking in on you right all the time, what you're doing, what you have to do. 
And the Rambam concludes, and then he says the following. Um, he says, The only time you have real hazikriya is only when you have situations of people living with each other, where you're able to literally see in on what they do. What does that tell us, this Rambam? And the Chuvas that tells us the following. It tells us that the Rambam holds that Ayin Hara is not a halachic consideration, A. B, it tells us that the Hezek the damage by sight that the Gemara discusses, the reason for it being a damage is because you're looking in on somebody when they're doing their work. Not because it's not Sneas. Not because you're going to cause Ayin Hara or Lashon Hara. No, you're looking in on them while they're working. They can't do their, they can't go about it. They can't work when somebody's like staring at them. A further proof that the Rambam doesn't understand Ayin Hara in the literal way whatsoever, not like the Ramban, right, who viewed the power of the eye as being in the women who are needed in snakes or the Tashbates and ostriches or any one of the other refarshim that we quoted all the way starting to have the from Aquinas but way back to the Greek philosophers that there was power in the eye to actually harm. How did the Rambam in in Perky office explain eye and harm? So if you look in the Rambam, if you recall, we discussed the Mishnah in office way back. The, the Mishnah says, Rabbi Yeshua said that eye and harm, yetzahar, and sinasabriyais are metzianasadam in ailam. What was eye and harm? You remember the Rabbi Yehuda said, eye and harm is your vapors are coming from the eye. All right, we have this Svarno uh, who also said that, and that came from Aquinas, and it came from the Greek, ancient Greeks and Aristotle, etc. Says the Ram, you want to know what Ayin Hara is? Ayin Hara is essentially Charitas the Mamain, Varoya Taiva, Varoya Nefesh. Somebody who's going after money, he's going after his lustful, unrestrained passions, and somebody has a sort of an evil soul. That person is not going to be able to live amongst people who's going to want to, you know, live on a, a, a sort of, in a sense, apart from humanity because he cannot abide by people. He cannot abide with them. This person is eating himself up alive with all of his unrestrained passion and all of his desire for money and all of his taivas, etc. Says the Rambam, that is Ayin Hara. And if you think that that's a fluke, it's not. Look at the Rambam later on in Avais. In Parag, hey, I wish you a test. Over there again, we talk about, we're going to talk about in a few weeks, Parsha, the comparison between Avram and Bilam. And we talk about those who are the students of Avram Avinu versus those who are the students of Bilam. And we say that the students of Avram Avinu are people of Ayin Tova, Ruach Nemucham, Nefesh Vela. And the people who are the students of Bilam of Ayin Ra, Ruach Kabayav, Nefesh Rechava. And the Ramam here explains what is, what is the Ayin Ra that we say is a student of Bilam? Says the Rambam, again, the same exact thing, which is, But again, the same thing about the desire and the chasing for, for pecuniary or monetary benefit and the unrestrained passions. That is somebody who's beset by the evil eye. Does that sound like the evil eye has any sort of power? No, it sounds like you have a person who's a jealous, lustful person who's going after the temporal, material things in this universe. That's it. There's nothing more to it than that. Interestingly, by the way, the Rambam over here brings down, in this terms of the students of Avram, we say Ayin Teva. So he says, what is the Ayin Teva? 
He quotes the same Medrash, if you recall, we talked about it back in the series of classes on Precious and Kedusha, that according to the opinion of the Rambam, um, is not exactly that dissimilar from that of the Ramban, even if they got there in a different way. Without going back into all that um, right now, because we're short on time, if you remember, over there, I pointed out, it was very interesting to me, when the Ramam decides to use Midrashim for his benefit. So over there, in the end of the Myra, right there, literally all at the end, I think it's uh, like Memtes or something, the Ramam says that Avram didn't see Sarah before they went down on the road to Egypt. Right? The And if you look here at the Ramam, the Ramam says the same thing. Does he want to know what it means, the Ayin Teva, Rech, Menucha, Nefeshvela? He says, Beferesh, Shalei Estaka, Buturasa, Estaka, Shlem. He never saw her Tzura truly. He never really saw Sarah's looks for what they really were. Rock by Yemahu. And that, until that day that he was in Egypt. And then he really had to prepare in order to be able to fend off the unrestrained passions of the Egyptians. So again, According to the Rambam, does he hold the Vayin Hara in any sort of Ramban-esque way or any of the other Mepharshim that we previously quoted? No. He reframes Ayin Hara. I'm not sure that the Rambam is shot on the mission of us, by the way. I'm not saying that he is at all. But the Rambam is showing you that the way he's reframing what Ayin Hara means in Avas, and he's ignoring it when it came to the Hilchah Shechenim and in Hilchah Gezela. He never is talking about Ayin Hara. And in the tshuva that we quoted, he's saying that Ayin Hara is a midas chasidus, and it's not a libu de hilchasa, that tells you his opinion. Ayin Hara is not halakhically relevant. So any Gemara that says we should do X, Y, and Z because of Ayin Hara, according to the Ramam, is not going to be a relevant consideration because Ayin Hara is not something that we proscribe or prescribe halakhic ramifications. Hezegri is not Ayin Hara. Hezegri is real damage by sight because you have somebody staring in on you. That's a tortious interference. It's a Hezeg She'en or Nicker for sure. You can't actually tell that kind of damage, but it is a damage. And that has a lot of implications that can be prevented. But it's not based upon the laws or uh, it's not based upon the, the fear of the evil eye in any way. But just to show you that the halacha is not certain in this sense, like the Rambam at all. I, I put on the next citation a, a, um, a quote from the Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch. Right, the Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch um, says the following, in Semen Kuf Pei Gimel, he says, A person is forbidden from looking in on the field of his friend, at the time of the harvest. So the kids of Shulchan Aruch is taking a halacha. The Rambam doesn't bring it down. Certainly not. The Rambam doesn't hold that it's a halacha. But the kids of Shulchan Aruch holds absolutely that it is a halacha. That you're not allowed to look in on the friend's field during the time of the harvest. Why not? So you shouldn't damage him with your evil eye. And he says, And for sure, you're not allowed to look in on your friend in a way that was going to be, he's going to be fearful that you're going to damage him with the Ayin Hara. And then he continues. And he says, 
שאין בהם חשש הזק עין הרע. Even if you're looking in on the friend at the time that he's engaged in work, even if there's no chashash of ayin hara, still it's going to be usher to look in on him. You're not let to look in on him without his knowledge, without his permission. Why? Because many people aren't going to be interested in seeing what he is up, maybe he's not going to be interested in people seeing what he's up to. He says it's Derek Eretz, when you're looking in on somebody when he's doing his work, you should give him a blessing that says, that's So you see how the Kizr Chanach has it totally reversed from the Rambam? The Rambam had said that what's the real, what's the real damage of the eyes? Not Ayn it's Hezegreia. And why is that real damage? Because you're looking in on somebody. It's a tortious interference because you're staring at them while they're doing things. They can't do it. But Ayn Har has no halakhic ramification. Ayn Har is not a real um, issue to be worried about. And yet, right, we have here the Kizr Chanach saying the exact opposite. What's the big fear? The big fear is Ayn Har, the evil eye. So that's why you're absolutely not allowed to look at your friend's field during the harvest period. And you're not allowed to look at your friend in any way that might make him can be concerned that there is Ayn Har. And also, even if there's no concern of Ayn Har, you're still not allowed to look at your friend while he's busy engaged with various actions. Even if there's no fear of Ayn Har, you're still not allowed to do that without his permission. But that's a secondary point. The main point is Ayn Har. So the, one of the reasons why I quoted the Shiyar Mitzvah, well, the was in order to quote the rabbi of the Shul that I davened growing up, the Shiyar Mitzvah who says over here, that what's the fear of Shalei HaZikeno Ba'ayin Hara? He says the fear is, V'chol zeh nikra b'chlal hezegri'iya. Everything that the Kirtus Shachanarach is talking about goes under the rubric of hezegri'iya. And that, to me, <coughs> is by definition, contrary to what we saw already in the Rambam, right? Because the Rambam says, you know what damage by sight is? You want to know what hezegri'iya is? Only when you're looking in at somebody in a, um, in a, in, in when they're doing their actions or they're doing whatever they have to do at home and you're staring in on them. That's Hezegreia. It has nothing to do with Ayin Har. Ayin Har, in fact, has no halakhic ramifications. But the Kiddush Rechonach has it exactly the opposite. The real Hezegreia is Ayin Har. And the real Hezegreia is looking on your friend's field during the harvest period. And there is an additional Hezegreia when you're looking on your friend's going to on when he's doing his work. But that's a secondary point. But according to the Kitzvah Hanach, the way the Shemar Sanabalach is explaining, it all fits under the rubric of Ayin Hara. So um, quickly on a um, couple of other halakhic ramifications of this, um, I wanted to mention one or two. There aren't that many. Like the Rambam said, it's not really logically relevant, but there are a couple. But the Archa Shochan, if you look at the next citation, the Archa Shochan, when he's talking about the Helkashchenim issues of Hezekri, of the damage by sight, so he says the following. He says that the Yesh Aimrim, the Ein Hezekriya Bohem, Varak Bechatzer Osi Lishtamish Tsanua. says, some say that the only time that there's going to be hezegriya in the field is only if you're coming to use it, bitsnias. So he says, uh, and that would depend on the kind of fields that 
would potentially harbor Hezekri or damage by sight. Then he says, And even though it's forbidden to look in on your friend's field during the harvest period, because it's ayin hara, zehu mimidas chasidus. That is a midas chasidus. What does he mean when he says midas chasidus? I'm assuming it's for sure 100% to my mind that he is hearkening on the Rambam and his tshuva. Where the Rambam said that the, that the looking in the friends feels not a halachic requirement. So yes, the Arach uses the word aser, but then he follows it up immediately by saying that, well, how is it aser? Midas chasidus aser. It's not 100% aser. So, and if you look at the end of this piece, he says this is the das of the Rambam, which means to me he probably had access to the tshuva, and that's how he used that word specifically. But if you look at some of the other halachas, and this is how we'll conclude, some of the other halachas where you have ayin hara coming up as a halachic uh, position, right? There's a few that are famous. So one is in our in um, Arachaim, in Arachaim the 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 Arachashokhan here says the following. He says about two brothers who are going to get alias, or a father and a son who are going to get aliyah, that they shouldn't get an aliyah run after the other. Why not? They shouldn't get a one aliyah one after the other because of ayin hara. He says halachically midina yechaylan It's just a minig that we don't do because of ayin hara, but midin. It's 100% permitted. Again, it goes back to the Rambam. What did the Rambam say? He said that Ayin Har does not have halachic ramifications. He is not Ayin Har, and it does. But Ayin Har does not. Says the Arach HaShulchan, among the rare places that we find Ayin Har having halachic ramifications, you see some people, you know, now during the corona, so we're having these public minyanim. So my my son and I, we, we, we basically hog all the alias. So some people are nervous when we first got started that we should have Aliyah after each other. It's terrible. You're not allowed to. Right? But if you look at the end of the Arach HaShokhan, the Arach HaShokhan says the following. He says, Whoever's not worried about it, yeah, do what you want. In other words, if you're not worried about Ayin Har, fine. Get the Aliyah after another. It's not a force of a halacha. But yeah, you find many people are very, very upset about this. It's a big, big deal for them. But maybe they are very makbid on Ayin Har. Um, if you look in Ebene Ezer, the Aruch HaShulchan brings down a halacha. Now, in those days, if you, you know, obviously they were very poor. So if you think about how to save money, one of the ways to do it, they would do weddings on Fridays, right? In order to be able to have the Shabbos meal be the wedding meal. Then that would be a way to kill, if you would, two birds with one stone. Another way to do that, they would have mass weddings. You know, like uh, Dr. Moon, you know, I, I remember what the name of the Universal Church or something. The, yeah, I would have like 100,000 couples got married at the same time. I'm not, I'm not really happy how, how uh, they managed to do that. But, but we would have also these sort of mass weddings. And over there, there's a the question whether or not you say, you can say one, bear, you know, one, the, 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 the Chevros, you can say it for, for, the, for both Hassan at the same time. And they had, the halacha is that, in theory, you should be able to do it. You can say for both. And then he says, But there are those who say you shouldn't do it. Why not? 
Mishum Ayin Hara, because of Ayin Hara. And therefore, each one should get two separate series of brachas. Each one should get its own series of brachas. Each one should get its own chuppah. And each one should get their set of brachas. But notice the language of the Arach HaShochan. He says, V'chein Noyagin. doesn't say this is the halacha. It's a minute. People are afraid of Ayin Hara. Fine. So that's how it has evolved, the custom. But not fundamentally. Not a halacha midin. It absolutely has to be this way at all. Again, another raya to the position of the Rambam. If you look in Yeridea, uh, over there, the Arach HaShochan says, uh, again, in relation here to um, uh, milking cows, um, that you have to be there during the period of the entire milking. So he also says, again, a little bit uh, of an Ayin Har consideration, that there are people who are worried about Ayin Hara, and so therefore they can rely uh, essentially on, a, on, a, on a, um, a less onerous form of Shmira of the milk, by having somebody just sort of sitting outside and not actually sitting inside. But again, yes, it has sort of a lucky ramification in a quasi sort of bidiyavidic way, but it doesn't seem to be that major of a point. If you look in Yerdea, um, uh, we'll do maybe one, yeah, I have one more after this. We'll do one more in, in Yerdea. So over here, the, the, the Archashokan is talking about two babies. Right, two babies are having a bris at the same time. Are you able to make the brachas like make one bracha for both babies? So he says, yeah. You you know you should be able to do that. So he says. Then the question people ask is if that's true, why is it that when it came by the chasanim you would do two brachas, but by the mila it's okay to have um, it's okay to have uh, one bracha for both babies. So he tries to make a distinction that, you know, with the babies, they're each having sort of a separate birth, they're being taken to separate rooms, um, that it's not going to be uh, a major a major issue. But that's another time where a bit of Ayin Har consideration comes into play, where people, um, it would seem, not so much as Ayin Har to me, to my mind, it would seem more uh, that, you know, people want to have their own, you know, their own Simcha. So don't and, but he's saying it's not Mar and Simcha Vesimcha, that's not the issue. The issue is Ayin Har, and so therefore, in order to be sort of responsive to that, we would, you know, make the two chasanas separate, and give two separate brachas. But by the babies, it's not Ayin Har issues, so therefore, um, we're not worried about it, and therefore we don't mind to, to basically give one bracha to, to both kids. And, and then the last place that I was going to quote in terms of Ayin Har consideration is um, in relation to Hilkha Shabbos. We've talked about a number of these things before, where a person's allowed to walk around with certain, um, with certain uh, sort of knots or whatever that help protect against Ayin Hara. But, so in terms of Hilkha Shabbos, you're not violating anything. But an animal is not allowed to go out with the with the, um, with the fox tail on its head in order to protect against Ayin Har. So that is not Ayin Har considerations, right? These are really, um, if anything, Hilkha Shabbos considerations. With that being said, as we discussed before, if these things are Mishum Rafur, if they really helped, they really did something, 
then there would be no issue of Dakir Amari, but it wouldn't necessarily mean that it would resolve the Hilcha Shabbos issues. And so I do think that the Hilcha Shabbos issues are not necessarily the same as the Dakir Amari issues. And I don't think that therefore that these two um, citations are per se relevant to Ayin Har as much as they are relevant to Hilcha Shabbos. So, Sikuma Adavar, where do we end up with tonight? We basically ended up with the following. According to the Rambam, there is a absolute tortious damage called Hezegria. We damage somebody by sight. That has nothing to do with INR. That is because you're looking in on the fears of somebody else. And the Chazal allowed and, um, one to be able to act against his friend who was doing that to him because that's interference. The Ramban, however, the Ramban disagreed. The Ramban says fundamentally that Hezekiah is based upon Ayin Har. He also puts in Lashon Har and Sneas. We saw the Archa brought in a couple, right? Brought in Sneas and Ayin Har as well. But fundamentally, according to the Ramban, the reason of Hezekiah is a, is a nice shmush. It's a nice challenge of Ayin Har and Hezekiah. And we saw the same in the Right, that the idea of Hezekiah and Ayin Har being conflated is very much alive. And so there are th- those who hold that Hezekiah has to do with Ayin Har. It's by and large because they hold that Ayin Har actually has real power. So when somebody's looking in on you, it's not merely he's looking in on you. It's the, what he's able to do when he looks in on you. It's not merely the discomfort. He's able to actually harm you with his Ayin Har. He's able to actually harm you with the power of his gaze. And so therefore we can have halakhic ramifications from Ayin Har. And the easiest place to see that would be in relation to, say, when you have to ear out your friend's, uh, your, your Aveda, the, the lost object of your friend. Are you not doing that in front of your guests because of Ayin Har? Um, and also the, the dictum of Rav who said that when you, when you, um, uh, see your friend's field in the time of the harvest, you're not supposed to look in on it. Remember, this is the same Rob who found that a lot of people in the graveyard, 99% of the people die because of Ayin Hara. Is that really a halakha consideration or not? Again, the Rambam says it's not a halakha consideration, it's a Shunei Ba'alma. And therefore, the rabbis will nil your fools for conflating the two. But we see that the Ramban and others do, certainly do. So in that way, we have a Shalshalas and Halacha on the basis of how seriously you take the power of the evil eye, that's going to have ramifications into what you decide um, are halachically uh, prohibited sort of actions because of Ayin Hara. Now, Shakayach, and have a wonderful Shabbos. Any, uh, anybody have any 